Amen. Thank you all. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Ezra, book of Ezra this morning, okay? Uh, as you're turning there, let me remind you that last Sunday morning in the 9 o'clock service I had preached from this text. Uh, I say that because I uh, had to say it to remind you that I did preach the second service, but it was somewhere else. I participated with an uh, ordination last Sunday at well at 10:30, uh, and I happened to be away. It's amazing uh, the, again that some people are gonna think I'm away today. Why? Because they're gonna watch uh, the television service and they're gonna see Daniel preaching. Uh, and the reason for that is it's always a week take delay now, so I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to explain that, that yeah, I wasn't gone uh, today as well. But anyway, Ezra chapter 1. Now in the book of Ezra, it's an exciting book. And the reason it's exciting is for many of them uh, had uh, been carried captive from Jerusalem to Babylon early in their lives. This was 70 years uh, prior to where we're reading today. And if you can only imagine being somewhere for 70 years and then there's a decree signed there by the governor, I'll call him, or the king and says, hey, all you folks can go back home if you want to. And matter of fact, he says that when you go back, uh, you're going to have all the resources that you need to rebuild the Lord's house, the temple. Oh, it was exciting times. Matter of fact, it wasn't exciting times that everybody would want to go back. But the reality is, even those who did not go back wanted to be a part of what was happening. And we'll see that they did. I, I simply titled this this morning, What Gifts Could We Bring? And the reason being is that is a part of the emphasis in these verses 5 through 11 out of Ezra chapter 1. Follow along as we read now, verses 5 and verse number 6 uh, on uh, the PowerPoint slides, but also you find them in your Bible. And it says there in verse 5, Then arose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the chief and the Levi, excuse me, Then arose the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things beside all that was willingly offered. Now there's quite a few things there I want to show you if you haven't seen them already. And the focus is going to be, first of all, on what these people have experienced uh, over the last 70 years. Now, all of you who are uh, below 70 years old, imagine that most likely you were born in a time of captivity. If you had been a Jew in this time, you uh, would have been born most likely in Babylon. And to go back to Jerusalem might not be something that would in encourage you. It might not would entice you. Why? Because all the home that you've ever known would have been in Babylon. However, when I begin to look at this text all week long, I've been reflecting on it. 
uh, I thought of a few of the reflections that they might have had. Number one, they had to reflect where they had been. Yes, the people who were growing older can remember the days that they were in Babylon. They might even remember the worship and the offerings that they had been able to carry to the temple. So what I want you to try to uh, emotionalize with the text today is that they were reflecting on where they had been. Yes, they were residents now in Babylon, a foreign country. They had not only been in Babylon, a foreign country, but now they are not under Babylonian rule, but they are under Medo-Persian rule, and Cyrus is the man of authority now. So they reflected on where they had been. They also reflected on what they had seen. I remember later in this book when it begins to talk about the construction of the temple taking place, it reminds us that those who had seen the temple in its first glory begin to weep. Why? Because it was not comparable to uh, what they were building now. The first temple of Solomon was so much more glorious and now they're having to uh, emotionalize and deal with where they had been, what they had seen. But remember now, there had been no temple for 70 years for the Jews. Quite possibly many scholars think that this is the period in which synagogues begin to be popular or even might have been birthed in this particular period. So they had to reflect on where they had been. They had to reflect on what they had seen, but they also had to reflect on how they had been affected. Ladies and gentlemen, this is usually something that we do quite regularly. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do it periodically. You, do, you reflect on how that uh, the last few years has affected you how it has affected yours as well. And when you begin to reflect on these things, where you've been and what you've seen and how you've been affected, it's not always pleasant thoughts. Uh, these folks had been affected, believe me. They had been affected personally. They had been affected socially. They had been affected financially. And likewise, they had been affected spiritually. If you are a believer here this morning, if you uh, uh, have been uh, serving the Lord faithfully over a period of five or ten years, you can do some of the same reflection that I'm referring to in the life of these people. Brother Clint and Harriet have been away this week uh, doing some mission things. They actually have been at a missions conference uh, down at Oviedo, Florida, and Brother Clint sent this uh, quote to us. I know he sent it to me. I think maybe the staff. But anyway, there was a church planter there, I suppose, this week at that missions conference. Uh, and that church planter, he said, was Cali from California. I only dated it there, 2021. I wanted you to see that this is a current thought. But that particular church planter said to them that four out of five evangelical churches in America are either plateaued and or declining. Now you could have every reason to uh, be a critic of that statement. You might be a, a person who looks at statistics. You might be a numbers person. That side of your brain may be dominant. 
And you might go home now and you might study churches that have been, uh, that have been operating over this last period now uh, of one or two years, and you might say, you know what, he absolutely is on target. I'm not saying he is or isn't. But I am telling you, much of what I read from other preachers and from other, uh, basically, other sources seem to be uh, agreeing with the fact that most evangelical churches are plateauing or declining. Now, that is a, that is a challenging statement, is it not? Well, with all of that in mind, I think we could jump to the conclusion that the people of uh, Judah that we find in the book of Ezra that have now been in Babylon for 70 years, they have watched the destruction of their beloved city. They maybe had saw and heard of the desecration of the temple and they now know that those articles uh, there of furniture, uh, those vessels that had been used in temple worship, are now placed in the house of the gods uh, that were the Babylonians, and now they're accessible by Cyrus, king of Persia. And the scripture tells us that God begins to do a work uh, in uh, his life. Now, first, as you look at verse 5, I want you to see with me that there are the stirred spirits, okay? The stirred spirits. Now, I don't have to remind you what stirring something does, do I? You know, so you take a spoon, whether it be metal or whether it be wooden. You got your good pot going there and you got something in the pot. And you don't want it to stick to the bottom of the pot and you keep a stirring it and you keep a stirring it. Well, you know, I know some people that have done that with uh, things that didn't need to be shared. And you know what? They kept a stirring it and they kept a stirring it. But let's look at this in a positive way. Usually my routine of a morning, I, I get up and I, I might snack on something at the house. I may sit there a few minutes and uh, only if it's like maybe Friday or Saturday do I drink coffee at home. But I'll come to the office, I'll pour me a cup of coffee, I'll usually go to my desk and, and I'll usually uh, put some uh, sugar in my coffee because I'm not man enough to drink it black, uh, unadulterated, so I have to mix it up. You know what, I got me a precious little spoon right there on my, on my desk. And you say, you use the same spoon every day? Well, hey, friend. Nothing wrong with that. After I stir it, I lick it good. So, you know, it's going to be good for the next day. Got to wake y'all up somehow. I stir it. Friend, one of the most precious thoughts of chapter 1 that I find, and as I think on this, it's so exciting to me, is where it says there in verse number 5, and I spoke to that last week in the 9 o'clock service when I was here, but it says, With all of them whose spirit God had raised, or in my translation, stirred. How many of you might have known how God at one time in your life stirred your spirit? As I begin to think on that this week, the kind of people God uses. First of all, it describes there the leaders. In verse 5, it talks about the chief fathers of Judah and Benjamin. 
Then it talks about the priests and the Levites uh, who are there of the tribe there of Levi. They, those men were the ones that God had set aside uh, as, the, uh, as the spiritual workers, the spiritual leaders, uh, even way back in the time of Moses, if you remember. Well, the stirred spirits, it tells us somewhat there of the kind of people that God is using. It first mentions the leaders. Now, maybe you're a leader here today. You're a Sunday school teacher. You're a deacon. Maybe you're a committee member. Maybe you're on a particular team of ministry peoples that, that are attempting to uh, instruct or guide other people. I call you a leader, okay? Maybe we could see a little bit more here. It goes to tell us that even there are others mentioned when it talks about, I believe, uh, the layman as well. Why? He does not call them all out by name, but he will talk about others uh, that God would work through there. Now, as a result of that, it covers all of us, does it not? God desires to use us all. If you're here today and you have have become a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no doubt in my mind that God has a place of use for you. Now, if you have not identified with the body of Christ, that means you have not uh, confessed your sin to Him privately. That means you have not repented of your sin. That means that you have not identified with the church. God's first great desire is to work in you that work of salvation that He might use you in places that we're discussing today. I thought about the kind of people God uses. And some would say God uses able people. How many times in my life, early in my life, had I been stirred by the Spirit of God and I realized or I would excuse myself because some way I would find a spiritual loophole in that stirring of God's Spirit, and I would claim to God that I wasn't able. Now, you know if he would have asked me to sing in a quartet, I could have got by that one easily by saying I wasn't able. Because you've probably sat near me when we would sing. Well, I wasn't able. Maybe if he would have asked me to help somebody who had a financial need, I could have said, I'm not able. I have my wife and two kids. And, hey, Lord, I don't have anything left. So sometimes I would cop out with that able thing. You know, God is not looking mainly for able people. God is looking for available people. Now, with that in mind, uh, don't let me alarm you. Don't jump up and run too fast. Don't see if you can hit the door before the, uh, uh, before the invitation is given. What happened is God stirs the heart of these people. Verse 5 tells us as he talks about the priest and the Levites, the fathers there, but it, in it uh, in, encompasses more than that. It says, with all them is what is included there in the Scripture. With all them whose spirit that God had raised to go build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. Now, notice, if you would, he has stirred their spirit, first of all, to, uh, to the fact that there is a need that is there, okay? Now, just because their spirit is stirred does not mean that they're all fixing to go with them. 
It doesn't mean, hey, honey, you go pack the bags while I pray. It doesn't mean that, uh, hey, you're picking up your roots and going back. But it means that God had stirred their spirits. And although many of them would not go, they, many would participate and plan and help those who were going. As you notice on that slide there, I put a note, the difference in people is what makes the difference. John Maxwell would say it differently. He would say something like this, the difference in people is little. But he would say the little difference makes all the difference in the world. If you uh, are a supervisor or if you have worked alongside of other people, might I even broaden that a little bit? If you have worshipped alongside of other people, might I go ahead and tell you that the difference in people is usually minor. It is usually small. But that difference is a large difference. And I conclude, first of all, that that spirit that he talks about there in verse number 5, when he says there uh, that the Lord had uh, given them or raised in them a spirit there that God had raised up. Now with that in mind, let's think about the spirit just a moment. Not the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about Him. I'm talking about the inner spirit of a man. Some would call it conscience. I would call it will. Some would call it the inner man. Some would call it that voice from within. I don't know what you might call that. But folks, within each of us, I know that there is the spirit, the pneuma, the inward man that sometimes needs a challenge. Notice, in the notes there, I put there is a challenged spirit. Yes, remember, they've been there 70 years. Uh, uh, remember, they had uh, established new homes. Remember, they have every reason to have got living on easy street. They have every reason to have allowed themselves to become complacent or indifferent. They could be disillusioned, and they could have just said, Hey, you know what? I'm growing old. I'm not uh, giving up, but I'm fixing the head up. And as a result of that, you know what? I just don't need to be worried about all that stuff. Isn't it amazing God still challenged spirits? You may be here today and you may be everything I just described. Or you might be like me. You may have been making plans now and you don't know exactly when God might allow those plans to be formulated. But in your heart and in your mind, you're at a, peace, you're at a place right now that just seems to be peaceful. And you know, hey, don't rock the boat too much. But you know what? I'm glad, for, I'm glad that God challenges our spirit. The challenge spirit. But secondly, that challenge spirit, when heeded, can lead to a changed spirit. You know, that's what he's describing in, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He's talking about people now, just like you and I, who are, quote, sitting on pews, who are living in their homes. They're, they're just going through life like you and I do. And he's challenged their spirit. And as they begin to hear this, I'm sure they're not hearing this only in the house. If it was synagogue worship, I'm sure they're not just reading it 
in the synagogue, but it is now a political agenda as well, and they're hearing it on the streets sometimes, that Cyrus has issued a decree that all the Jews who wants to can go back home and rebuild the temple. I mean, this is making the headlines in the newspaper. Now, you've got to use your sanctified imagination there because there wasn't a telephone, there wasn't a newspaper. But boy, this was the buzz around town. Their spirits were challenged, their spirits were changed, and now there is a contagious spirit. I don't have to describe to you to, uh, what being contagious means, do I? Why? We think of germs and we think of viruses and we think of all of those nasty things that are contagious. That's why when I talked about my spoon on my desk, some of you just, oh man, here. Well, just don't go get my spoon. And what I'm saying there is, we all practice different methods when it comes to that. I want you to see a contagious spirit in a spiritual way. It's amazing, is it not, what happens when one person begins to be convicted and converted and baptized. And you know the Spirit of the Lord begins to have liberty. And you know before you know it, there's two over here and three over there. The Spirit of the Lord just begins to permeate the whole group and the whole place. It becomes contagious, doesn't it, in a positive way. Friend, I long to see that spirit contagious among us everywhere. I don't like to just read about what the old days were like. You know, most of this generation that we are worshiping with today don't know what a two-week protracted meeting is. Most of the people that you and I might even be worshiping with don't know the way it used to be. And friend, to be totally honest with you, we've got to get over the way it used to be and we need to get used to the way God wants it to be. Let that get contagious. Now I wrote a note on my first page that was not in the notes. And I wrote this and I said that an in-gathering, which I see happening here, will always produce an overflowing and an outflowing. See, God is gathering the people in. As He stirred the heart now of Cyrus, there's an end gathering that is leading now to an overflowing and an outflowing. Some notes I read from a guy that I know, First Baptist Church, Newberry, Florida. He had posted something on Facebook this week, and I, I cut and pasted it in my notes. Why? Because I thought it would be exactly on target of where uh, we would be speaking about the Spirit as well as our Spirit. And he said this, Let us not run from the Spirit, but let us run by the Spirit. Let us not turn back from the Spirit, but let us tune in to the Spirit. Let us not grieve the Spirit, but let us be governed by the Spirit. And fourth, let us not put out the Spirit's fire, but let us be endued with the Spirit's power. My friend, let me say to you, 
we are in possession of the Spirit of the living God. He resides in us. And I want to tell you something. He wants more than anything to work through us. Where does He want to work through us at? Right where we are. Well, the Spirit, notice, we've talked about the stirred spirits. Let's look in verse 6 now at the overflowing offerings. Now usually, anytime we speak about offerings in a Baptist church, the plates are close, aren't they? I remember, this is a humorous thought, but I remember this happened when I was in my 20s. It was even before I was started pastoring at age 25. My wife and I, our pastor at that time, was over at Homestead. How many of you know where Homestead is? He was preaching a revival out in a little old uh, 